What's the latest, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. Devin Uglin and Ronnie Flores here with you as always. Ronnie was in Phoenix uh, this past weekend for the Section 7 uh, Arizona Team Camp, which we will get into in a minute. Um, I was going to go to Phoenix, and then I saw all the golf courses off the 10 freeway heading into uh, Palm Springs, La Quinta area, and decided I'd get off and play a little bit of golf, Ronnie. Yeah, I mean, you probably... uh... Probably the pecking order of the of the success this weekend was Section Seven, you, <laughs> your gig in Palm Springs, then the NBA Awards. Yeah, was a, like a distant third. Distant third, let's uh, for sure. Bef- I mean, yeah. Section Seven was overall a success. Uh, like you said, we'll get into it and talk about it. We'll got a lot to talk about. Yeah, today, uh, you know, the NBA came out with their. Uh, you know, end of the season awards. Obviously, it's way later, and so you know that's probably one of the things we will talk about in general. The NBA draft. We talked a lot with uh, Rashad Phillips last week. We'll have a couple guests this week talking about Section Seven, and we'll we'll talk about the NBA draft a little bit as well. So plenty to talk about, Devin. Um, before we get into it, Ronnie, lead off. Yeah, with? before we get into, the, uh, let's go story time. Everyone likes. I always get good feedback when I when I start off with the story. So, you know, I like to golf as every you know. Good young white man likes to do. Of get out in the links a little bit. Um, in Palm Springs, right, there's just hundreds of courses, hundreds of them. Um, so I was like, screw it, I'm going to go play a little bit of golf by myself. And let me ask you a question. Yeah. Who's designed all those, most of those? Is I mean, like some, there, or just all, there's, a bunch I mean, of people? There's a bunch of people. So there's famous, you know, famous designers like sure. uh, Robert Trent Jones or, you know, all these guys who, yeah. who design all these top-level courses. And I mean, out like there... Like Arnold Palmer and Ben Hogan designed a bunch of them, too, yeah, in the past? Like, yeah, yeah. There's former a, golfers. Right. There's a big thing down there at PGA West where they have all these courses named after like Greg Norman and Jack Got Nicholas it. and Arnold yeah. Palmer. Um, so I, usually you get paired up with somebody when you're golfing by yourself, right? Sure. Because they don't want to send singles out because it'll slow up the pace. Yeah. They, they're all about the money. Right. So Saturday morning, I'm getting ready to tee off. I get paired up with this guy. He walks up. Okay. He's got an eye patch on. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. You know, eye patch and golf doesn't really go together because. Was it anything like Rick's uh, eye patch that he had before our buddy Rick Isaac? Yeah. Or? So it was like a, it was like a black eye patch that covered it. It was like a pirate, right? Yeah. And so when you golf with somebody, you got to do a little bullshit like. Uh, small talk stuff, right? Of course. Like, where are you from? You know, what do you do for work? All that, all that it's dumb. Just stuff. the etiquette of it's of, the etiquette of of, the of life. Yeah. yeah, really. So I asked the guy, I'm like, where are you, you know, where are you from? He's, he drove in from Santa Clarita uh, to Palm Springs. He said he was originally from Palm Springs, um, and I was like, oh, what, what brought you out to Santa Clarita? And he says to me, he looks me dead in the eye, right? He says to me, well, dead I, in one eye, dead in one <laughs> eye, and says to me, he says, well, I've been running from people for the last 15 years. Whoa! And I was like. Great. Oh, so you go okay. to Santa Clarita. That, I guess that makes sense because people may not know this. In Santa Clarita, a lot of law enforcement live there. Like, you know, law enforcement lives in bunches. Okay. They kind of live near each other okay. to obviously not work in this. They don't live in the city they work because they don't want to sure. run into people that they may have accosted or, or, yeah, or arrested or whatever. Or, and But they also want to look out for each other, you know. So it's funny that he's in so he Santa says that to me, right? Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, he's that's with a bunch of cops. This is before the first hole, right? Yeah. And I'm like, Dude, you're gonna kill me on the seventh. Am I gonna get? Yeah. Am I gonna get shanked on the seventh hole or something? Yeah, yeah. Ends up he was cool. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't ask why he's been running. Nah, people. Just... I, I probably should have just to make this story a whole lot better. But uh, he was cool. Like he didn't, you know, take the game too seriously. Because I, when I play, dude, I don't want to like follow the rules. Like yeah. if I hit a shitty shot, I'm gonna put another ball down yeah. and hit it again. You hit it to go again. Yeah. yeah. 
But just, yeah, that's, it was you just, just never know who you're running you know, into. You don't. It's trippy. It's trippy. And the next the next day, I played with the father and son from Phoenix. The father was like 60. The son was 40. And uh, uh, they were worried about every time they went out to dinner in Palm Springs, that people thought they were they were oh, uh, gay they together. Were gay. And I'm like, you guys are. No one's thinking that, dude. Like, no one wow. cares. Well, it's funny. You know, we weren't old enough, Devin, and I wasn't old enough. Maybe you know, maybe Grant Rice, one of our guest speakers, can speak on it a little bit. But uh, you know, no, it, not really. He's about my age as well. You know, Palm Springs used to be a destination, like a party destination for, for sure. young people in high school from Orange County, from LA. Then it just like switched. Maybe before, before you know, twenty five years ago. But in the eighties, the early nineties was like Palm Springs is supposed to be the place to go, right? And then in like Sunny Bono became the mayor, and then it turned into this like resort, resort kind of like yeah. retirement town. But these but guys... now, but I, it's funny. I <laughs> went to go see a, a prize fight there, and similar to what those guys were saying. It was a totally different situation For about sure. eight years ago. I did. I mean, there was nothing there. Yeah. It was fight night. I, we walked into a bar. Hey, where can we watch the Manny Pacquiao fight? It was Manny Pacquiao fighting, and I was with a buddy of mine, and they were like, uh, no, we don't have it. They were almost asking me, like, insulted, like, we don't care the fight. I was like, okay, is there a bar down the street? They're like, nah. I, and I knew right away. I started looking around. I started looking at the scenery. I was like, we're not going to find what we want here. Yeah, it's a different scene, but yeah. these guys were, like, so concerned. <laughs> and it was very clear that there was a fa- they were a father and a son because the, the guy was, like, 65, and the son, they looked exactly the same. <laughs> and it's just like I told these guys, I'm like, no one's thinking about you nobody's guys. Like nobody cares, dude. Nobody, yeah. nobody's looking. Like everyone was staring at us, and we were. I just wanted to make sure that they didn't think that. I'm like, dude, you guys are trippy. Yeah, that's funny. Trippy. So, speaking let's, of, yeah, uh, let's get into the. Speaking of like not caring, I, I don't, you know, mean to sound, any, you know, crude or rude, but I didn't really care about the NBA awards. No, I just wanted to know who they were, you know. Uh, like, and you wanted to know who they were in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, not I would now. say so. Yeah. yeah, not now. You know, it kind of defeats the purpose. Um, you know, what do you think, Devin, about uh, like just the moments of I remember like obviously the MVP used to be repeat itself a lot. You know, growing up, it was like Moses Malone won a, f- a few times in a row. Then Bird won three times in a row. Then, you know, Jordan got one. People were like, wow, this guy's going to be real great. He won like at 24 years old. And then Magic won a couple when people thought maybe Jordan should have won. Then Jordan just took over and won like five out of six, right? You know, and but I always remember the moments where like they handed him the award. The one I remember most a lot is Allen Iverson because, okay. you know, he's not this. You look at him and like David Stern's bigger than him. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? he's handing yeah, right, him the award, right, right. and the fans in Philly are just happy. You know, no, no know. one expected Iverson to yeah. be that caliber of player, right? Yeah, I mean, he was the number one pick, and obviously he was a great athlete. But like, he became the MVP pretty young as well, and was just a great season. He was and a it was small like, scoring guard before yeah. that became popular. Yeah, and it was like that was great for him, and that was great for Philadelphia. The fans enjoyed him. So, what do you take about this NBA awards and making it kind of commercial? And would you rather just see it announced during the playoffs? Obviously, the MVP is probably going to be in the playoffs, you know. Yeah, and just kind of make it a moment for that team and that those fan base. Or do you like what you so, see now? The thing, so I hate it. I hate yeah. the award show because I turned it on a little bit last night. Okay, and. After my girlfriend was done watching the Keeping Up with the Kardashians, I was able to about the yeah, yeah same was, level was, yeah exactly same I was level. able to I was able to flip it over to basically the sports version of that yeah um and so it was a terrible comedian on making like I mean jokes that were so, supposed to be funny yeah didn't make me laugh a whole lot okay um, but what's what's the point I mean, yeah, just another venue for the NBA to stay relevant in the off season and for people to get together, hang out. If you're going to do the end of the season award show, make the make the awards through the playoffs. 
That would Got make it. sense to me. So okay. then Kawhi Leonard's the MVP. Okay. Not Giannis, be, right? Not Giannis. If you're going to do regular season awards, just announce them in the first round like you like they used to do or sure. the second round or sometime in in the playoffs in the in the first or second round because that means it's still relevant and you people can't change their opinion. Yeah. On um people can't change their opinion um on who should be winners of the awards. Giannis was the regular season MVP. I agree with that choice. James Harden has a case for that as well. Sure. Um, yeah, and well, you'll, a... you'll, yeah, you'll go, you'll, you'll go harder in the paint on that than I will. But I think Giannis deserved it. Um, but then we wait and wait and wait a month or two months, three months later, and now we're now we're giving Giannis the award, even though you know Kawhi and Toronto beat Milwaukee and represented the East and defeated the Warriors and were sure. the, the NBA champions. Sure, Kawhi Leonard was the Finals MVP, but I mean people's opinions are skewed now because it's so kind it's of wild, so late. Though. It's yeah. so late. Yeah, so that makes sense. Um, you know, as far as the MVP, it just kind of thinks of uh, go through the whole theme of uh, where we are in basketball in general. Um, the defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, is from France. Lou Williams is an American player who went straight from high school to the NBA, won in that last crop in 2005. Again, he's had him carved out a great career as a six man, as a six, a six man, man. and just he's from won, being where multiple. he, well, just from being where he was in that draft in that pick, right, to what he is now, it's it's, it's really you know he's lasted, he's figured out a way to last. It's kind of like Mon Alice did, you sure. know, they were both good from that draft. Um, Pascal Pascal Sam from the Raptors is the most improved player. He's from Cameroon. Uh, rookie of the year, Luka Doncic uh, from Slovenia. Obviously, he had a lot of publicity going into the draft there was a basically people were split half and half this guy's sure. gonna be a bus another european bust definitely wasn't the and case. other guys were like this is the second coming and yeah those guys were right for the for the first year yeah and then the mvp um giannis the greek freak from nigeria he's uh, you know we born in greece obviously there's even people that have an opinion about that you know some people are calling them the African freak, you know, <laughs> right? And, and he's just Nigerian a descent, born yeah, in, in in Greece. Greece. Right. He was born there, you know, born in Athens. Represents that, uh, you know, it just goes along the line. It'd be interesting story. Uh, one of the last ABCD camps was in New Jersey. I was at. Uh, I was summer of two thousand six. Might have been two thousand five. The second to last one, and we're starting to see a lot of European players drafted at that time. And I remember. Uh, one of the coaches. Now they talked. Different people talked at, at the at the banquets and at, at the breaks and at lunches during that camp. And they always had high level players because the camp had gone on for for so far. Our high level speakers wasn't always uh, players, but one time they had Stephen A. Smith, Kobe Bryant. There's a famous one where Lenny Cook kind of challenges Kobe. When are we gonna play one on one? And Kobe's like, "Son, you're not ready for that." Uh -huh. It was just kind of a famous moments in that camp. So one of the coaches, I remember, he said, "Um, you know." Guys, he was telling the group of the best 120 some odd players in in the country at the time. You know, these European players, I think it's bullshit. They're basically tying our players that weren't, you know, they're not good enough, and I think it's bullshit. And you know, what is that? 12, 13 years later, look where the NBA is at. Uh, it's not. It's reality. It's mm -hmm. not bullshit. You know, it's look where look where these players are from. Look where Giannis is from. Look where. They're drafting from even in 219. Now, obviously, there's great American players, and there will continue to be. But, you know, in 15 years or whatever it is, we really haven't got the memo. Um, American players are, are becoming a smaller piece of the, the pie for 
the talent where it's coming from. As we see it, Devin, as as we see in the draft, as we go to various camps, that's just what it is. Just talk a little bit about why you why do you think we're not getting? I mean, it's kind of an is it an indictment on the American system in general, or players just that much better across the country and across the world? I mean, and they're just. The, the top few are making it, and just so happens that they're at the top of the game. Yeah, right as you well know, uh, David Stern, when he was the commissioner in the NBA, did a great job of globalizing the NBA, right? Sure. Taking it to Europe, taking it to uh, China, and yeah. you know, as far east as you can imagine. Sure. Um, and I just think it's just a product of, of that, of globalizing the game okay. and having scouts you know, based in, in Europe, based in these foreign countries, yeah. and finding really, really good players over there, and those guys coming over and working and sure. and, and just getting better. I don't think it's an indictment on the American system. Got I know it. maybe like, it was like a year or two ago, there was just a massive debate. I think I think it was sparked by Kobe uh, making a comment about how you know, they do AU. more fundamentals over there, and the AU, AU sucks. sucks and yeah. well, I don't think it's, it's that, because there are still tons of great American mm-hmm. basketball players, right? Sure. I mean, James Harden, who had a case for a regular season MVP, um, challenging Giannis, uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, sure. Kawhi Leonard is an American-born come... player who is one of the most fundamentally sound guys in Correct. the world. Right? And they all come from different backgrounds, backgrounds I mean, areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Kawhi, you know, was wasn't on the varsity as or wasn't on a, a varsity team at Canyon Springs in Moreno Valley because his mom couldn't get him to practice, and the coach was like, "You got to practice." And obviously, he wasn't like this. A uh, big time Ballyhooed middle schooler where they they're gonna bend the rules for him. Right. No, he just couldn't make practice. Right. He was off the team. James Harden wasn't that. You know, he he was coming on as a talent, but he wasn't. Oh my God, this guy's gonna be in the NBA ninth grade. And same thing with Russell Westbrook wasn't even known right. to people in ninth grade. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree with you for the I mean, most part. But yeah. I think people are not realizing that. Yeah, as a group, we got to get our our skill level up in general. Just our, our fundamentals. Everyone needs to. Everyone I don't care who to. it is. Yeah. And I mean, also, I do think that if you're in the NBA and you're an NBA owner, manage, management, that kind of thing, they're getting this feedback or they're getting this this perception that these guys are just prima donna jackasses, half of them. And that's just especially from, our, from our, especially nowadays, from this yeah. grassroots system, from our system, the American, quote unquote, American system. So I do agree, kind of agree with that. If yeah. there's a player of equal stature equal skill i may look harder at those players because i'm saying this guy's got 20 people in his entourage he yeah. wants this and that look at giannis's speech or how giannis comes off just comes off really genuine that yeah. he really wants to get better that he's really appreciative and i'm not sure our top level players always have that sentiment you know what i mean they're i hear kinda you like they kind of everyone's think, handed so much stuff in yeah. their lives they expect it they think they're making it and yeah. they're not right. so very interesting thing there um i think I think I mean as far as these awards go, I, yeah. I think everyone will any, every one of them was pretty much nailed for the for the regular season, right? I mean, Budenholzer from Milwaukee, Coach of the Year, Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year from Utah, uh, Lou Williams is the uh, Sixth Man of the Year, you know, one of the best leader, ever at leader, that. yeah, yeah, every single year, one of the best in, in the history, history of the game, game at, at the six, yeah. Pascal Siakam, that's a that was a hands down pick for most improved. I think he he upped his scoring average by nine point seven points per game. Wow, uh, from a year ago, right? Luka Doncic, and it looks easy. good. They won the they won the championship. Yeah, I don't think there's any. I know. Glaring. I mean, James I, Harden. Maybe I think you yeah. have some thoughts on James Harden and, and Giannis as MVPs. Um, you know, what what's your opinion on MVP? Is it uh, most important player to the team or just the best, most impactful, most dominant player uh, in the game? Yeah, I think um, it's, in my opinion, the most impactful player. Okay, because it seems like that's been how the NBA is awarded it always in the past. Okay. You know, uh who's just 
that good at that time. Um, again, I think the the ward used to be reputational a bit. You know, like I said, it, it, like Dr. J, I remember won it one year, and it, that wasn't necessarily his best season. I think it was 80-81, but like, it was almost like, quote unquote, his time to win it. Yeah. Because like Moses had won it, Kareem had won it. You know, same thing kind of with Magic. Magic kind of toward the end of his career, people realized how good he was. So after Bird had won his three in a row, Magic won, uh, you know, three out of four, I think, or two out of three, whatever he did, and Jordan won one in between. So now it's kind of more like maybe we have more access to the stats. We break it down every night on these talk shows, on 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 pods like ours. Yeah. You know, lots of coverage, man. There's lots of coverage. So, you know, when you look at James Harden, what he did, right, the 30 – 32 streak, games yeah. <laughs> with 30 points. And they and he had to do it because the Rockets kind of won in that yeah, yeah, yeah. in that time frame. I think he's one of the first players to have, what, 35 points and, like, over a certain amount of assists, maybe 500 assists, like 700 rebounds, whatever right. it was. He's, like, he's he really high. Crazy in, numbers, yeah. He was really high in those numbers considering what an MVP does. And then also, like, he's also one of the lead leaders in steals and deflections. So I think that's where people have, a like, a problem with Harden because they're like, he doesn't play any D. He doesn't play D, but he takes gambles and they usually pay off, yeah. right? Yeah, He so he does things like, like I don't know if the Raptors, I'm sorry, not the Raptors. I don't know if, if the Rockets are that really that good of a team. Without James. Yeah. He, and he, I hear you. I'm Yeah, with, yeah. you take James good. off that team, they're not what are good. they? They're not very good. Yeah. So, but when it, the, the funny thing about... Luka Don, I'm sorry, the, the Greek freak is that people were building him up like this guy has MVP talent and it's crazy because I just think he could be still be a lot better. So where's sure. he going from here? He's already want, you know, Gotta be able to shoot it, shoot it more consistently, break, you know, use that various parts of the floor. We kind of talked about this during the playoffs. Imagine if he shoots 38 percent from three. I mean, yeah. he's unguardable. Yeah, he's almost unguardable and he, and now. He's, and and he's he shoots, going to the right all the time. Right, and he shoots or he, he goes left and he can shoot 70, even 70 or 75 percent from the free throw line. Yeah, that would be. I mean, he would be a, the leader and MVP every single year, basically, because you couldn't stop you couldn't stop him. Yeah, and he's, he's made, that I think is the exciting part of him winning yeah. the MVP is where does he go from here? Because people see improvement. I don't think James Harden's ever going to play better than he's played the last two three years. Yeah, he's at his peak. He's at his prime in terms of age, and you know maybe Rockets make some trades. I know they got that big salary that they don't know what to do with Chris Paul, <laughs> like so they're kind of thirty five million. Or yeah, they're kind number. of stuck, but. I mean, there's no knock to, to Harden. He's won the MVP. It's very interesting. Um, you know, he's won an MVP. Russell Westbrook won an MVP. So based on the history of the game, every MVP has been in the Hall of Fame. So all these guys are going to the Hall sure. of Fame. No, that's no question. Winning, yeah. Like, they're winning one MVP at a time, where it wasn't like that in the past. seems like guys were, like, on a run. Even, like, LeBron won four MVPs, yeah. right? Except, except Kobe Bryant. And Kobe. And, again, that goes <laughs> to what we're saying. Yeah. About some of these MVP snubs, people like Giannis. Uh, they like talking to him. They like interviewing him. Again, it goes back to what we said just a few minutes ago about people's approach to the game. They just like him. Yeah. And I think that did play in a little bit. Of it. And then it, I know the NBA is not upset that he won it. Like, oh, great. This More people around the world love our game. Yeah, he's a he's a great you know global ambassador for the game. Correct. So they, they, the, the NBA, NBA was won. Hit, for sure, yeah. The NBA won on this one, and it was a great season. They got their first you know team to win the championship outside of of the United States, you know, continental United States or whatever with the Raptors doing it. And they're, you know, they're going to – this award show maybe is not the greatest thing, but they got a week more, and then they're going to – 
free agency is going to kick off and they're going to be right back in the news again. And then the NBA Summer League comes. So, like, the NBA has just figured it out. Like, compared to MLB and or NFL, like, they just stay in the news, like, almost year-round. You know, like, the NBA Summer League is huge now. Yeah. You know, so it's... Lots of coverage for the NBA Summer lots, League. Lots of coverage. Whereas, like, all you hear about the NFL in the offseason is some... some Guy getting arrested or doing something stupid, and right, that's all right. you hear. Yeah, and then the or the last five years, mm-hmm. that's all I've heard. Yeah, oh, this I think guy got arrested at a club. Oh, this guy smacked his girlfriend in a in a, in a Uber. That's yeah. all you hear. Dumb stuff like that, where you don't really hear that. I think the, in the NBA, the award selections were right, and it was a win for the NBA. And I think the award show was not a win for people like you and I who don't want to see that. Um, and speaking of a win. Everything I've heard from the Section 7 high school uh, uh, team camp out in Arizona was a major win. Yeah. Uh, the setup was great. Um, I obviously wasn't there. Ronnie, you were. You were there yeah. all three days. Uh, so, Ronnie, give me first, before we get on you know, Grant Rice and, and Colin Faw from, from Winward um, to kind of discuss uh, you know, their team's experience, but give me your experience, what you, your thoughts, what college coaches were saying, and um, the uh, if we should keep high school – uh, events live in June moving forward. Yeah, I think the sentiment is people want to keep events live in June with the high school team. Um, there was nine 16 team brackets, and they were pretty centrally located. Phoenix seemed to be a good spot for the event. The gyms were near each other. Uh, the main site, Brophy Prep, and Central was just Central was just basically 500 yards away, so you can walk back and forth, so you can catch four games, or there was four games running at the same time. Um, you know, with the top top more top divisions where the yeah, top yeah. teams, maybe the top two or three. Obviously, though, some of the winners came over there when they kept winning, and some of the losers went to another site. But even those sites weren't very far away. So, I was talking to a very. Uh, Quite a bit of coaches, um, various levels. And, you know, if you look, go look at ballslife.com, I, I, I wrote a recap and kind of analysis of it. And there's some some direct quotes from straight from the coaches. So it kind of went from the Power Five coaches. They thought it was very well organized, and all coaches did. And, you know, the, but they still would rather see the grassroots setting so they can see many D1 players playing against each other. Because that's the players they're looking for. Whereas, you go to a D two or a, maybe a lower, low level D one, they don't mind seeing the high school players play with the high school setting because they're not they're not worried about seeing seven D one players on the court at one time. Right. These guys want to see as many D one players on the court at once as possible because they're probably recruiting two or three or four of those guys from one team. You know what sure. I mean? I, I mean. I think from an evaluation standpoint, number one, there needs to be more live periods, right? There needs to be more evaluation time for all levels of coaches. Um, And I think uh, seeing a high-level player within a a high school system is important to see how they actually play the game with an actual coach guiding it and running sets and, and, you know, playing in an organized fashion. But continue to your next point. And so I'll just kind of read real quick what the D2 coach said. He said, I really love this event. It's a chance to see players in a high school setting being coached. I've always been in favor of this, but at the same time, playing in an AU setting as well. I just think that in a high school setting, you get to see how they think within the team structure and they give you 
an idea if they can fit into your system. So, yeah, coaches want to see if, they, if a player can react and fit into what they're going to run more than what we call maybe a less organized setting. And um, overall, it was, it was very good for the coaches. Mm-hmm. They got a lot out of it. Uh, the hospitality was good. Uh, the organization was good. Now, there, there could be a little bit of criticism, and the criticism would be it's not a high school holiday tournament. So if you have the space to run two courts at once and then two courts in the back gym, do, by all means do it. The coaches just want to see players. They're not really worried about the fans coming in and the mascot. And you're, you're, you might get a little bit of a high school tournament feel, but that's not the point. The point is to evaluate as many players as you can. So that, and then the, the, when you run the, the, um, the tournament schedule, you, you want to have the two semifinal games not at the same time, you know? So the two semifinalists were both at, like, at least on Saturday night at 7.15. Well, you had to choose. Right. You had to choose. Right. That, that, to me, was a drawback. Okay. You know? Um, this, this is good feedback for, for those guys to yeah. hear to be able to, you know, if this does continue... Uh, maybe make some tweaks for for next year so that we you guys can we can see yeah two courts at once at the same time both semifinals at the same time on, on courts and you can watch one one or stagger or the them other. right six you know six o'clock and seven fifteen or seven fifteen eight thirty and then it, it thrived and great because it was a one stop shop sure a lot of coaches were there yeah and that was great because but again if the Nevada State Association NIA goes live if CIF goes live. You can bet it's going to be fragmented. Then we're kind of back to what we were before, and you have to choose. Right. So that was the the quality thing about it. If they can keep that tournament that weekend, and then maybe another state can go the following weekend, sure. Or build up, you know, one one goes the one week, one goes the other. Then they would. Then it's great. But if it starts getting too fragmented, and every state does it, or it'll, every state thinks it'll be just like a club, it'll be just like yeah. a club event. Yep. And speaking of great events, Coach Grant Rice. Uh, from Bishop Gorman, who defeated uh, Modern Day 79-66 in the All About the People bracket, which was the top bracket, yeah. uh, is joining us here on the In the Paint Show. Coach Rice, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Really, really excited and happy to be here talking about uh, some basketball. As always, Grant, uh, you Bishop Gorman put on a strong performance uh, in, in another big-time event. Uh, give us your thoughts on your team in particular. Uh, which guys were, you know, kind of the catalyst for you to uh, take down a, a California high school powerhouse? Yeah, you know, it's 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 a good group of guys we got. We had a, a good year last year, and you know, we're able to travel to the Geico uh, National Tournament. And we have most of our team back, so um, definitely looking forward to uh, the upcoming year. It was really nice for us to get a chance to play. Uh, you know, we normally play every June, you know, whether it's in California or in Vegas here, but it's it's never been live. So it was really a special deal to, for, for us high school coaches to get to uh, coach in front of all those college coaches. Yeah, Grant, uh, just talk a little bit about your guys' continuity. And um, obviously if Will is playing really well and hitting his shots and if, and Milwaukee's development, you guys going to be awfully tough to beat if, if Will's shooting like that and if Milwaukee keeps – developing and playing the way he is without a doubt both those guys will mcclendon you know uh does so many things it's funny i've been telling college coaches for will mcclendon about a year 
and uh, because he just does all the little things. He, he, you know, he's such a good defender. He does, you know, he's an unselfish kid. And then he goes out and goes seven for eight for three, and then all of a sudden, you know, they, they finally listen. So, yeah. Um, but you know, we know how good Will is. Milani um, is is coming around. He is, um, you know, only 16 years old, as, as you guys know. So uh, he's got a bright future um, getting some high major programs involved with him. And then uh, Noah Tate's played great as well. You know, when we have Will uh, shooting the ball from one side and Noah Tate's from the other side, we're definitely pretty hard to beat. Um, Coach, talk about uh, the, the tournament in general. Uh, you guys um, defeated Skyline. Then Western Ranch was pretty tough. They got a couple really good players. And you guys were clicking against Bishop O'Dowd in the semis. Obviously, Bishop O'Dowd beat a pretty good Etiwana team to open. They're pretty scrappy and good. Talk about that. And then secondly, we can get into it. Talk a little bit about the tournament, you know, the hospitality, the, the getting there, and, and how, how you guys got into the tournament and what you thought of it. Right, really good competition. I thought the format was good, you know, with the one game Friday, two games Saturday, and one Sunday. Whether it's a tournament or just straight matchup, games either for high school coaches either way is okay you know at this time we didn't really care about winning a uh you know a championship or anything like that it was obviously nice to go 4-0 and and to have a good championship game but you know we, we were just excited to be out there and get the experience in front of the college coaches but the the competition was great it was really good to play in the semis against our good friend uh lou Ritchie at bishop o'dowd we've had some really good battles over the years and just a class act all the way and then obviously to play you know the modern day uh, monarchs one of the uh, you know, biggest and most famous schools in the country. Uh, we, you know, with Coach Gary McKnight. So it was really neat to play them, and uh, especially in front of all of those college coaches, probably a hundred coaches or so, watching that game. So that was great. And obviously, we want to win, and it was nice to win, but it was really great to get exposure for for both teams, for both schools. Uh, a lot of really good Division One players on that floor at that time in that championship game, and it was nice to see all those college coaches there. So once again, the event was good. I know you guys, uh, you know, have some opinions on it and I do too but the event was great it was a good concept uh, Matt King and Mark Beasley and the AIA Association did a really good job uh, I'm sure they'll have some minor tweaks uh, of things that can make it a little better next year but I would definitely give it an A uh, in this first year that makes sense Grant uh, just talk a little bit about did they did, did you guys reach out to them to say hey we want to get in because we know it's live there's not one in Nevada um, was you know was all the accommodations there like did you did, did you find out about you know all the details of the event we just want to know because like you said we want it to be good we want to keep june live for high schools obviously you know the nca will will decide that going forward and it looks like people are interested so just talk about that and the experience of the event not so much the play well it was organized right from the start right when we heard that it was going to be live in Arizona, and they were the only state on the West Coast that was going to do it that weekend. Um, we originally, uh, you know, were, were ready to go. You know, no matter what the case was, we were going to make sure it happened. Uh, Matt King, who was the director of the Section 7 camp, uh, reached out to us right away and, you know, invited us to the camp. And then uh, I spoke to Matt several times and kind of gave him some ideas on, on other teams that, you know, they should, they should uh, invite from Nevada and uh, including some Reno teams and then Las Vegas teams. And then Matt just took it from there and did a great job of communicating with us. He had an email list that he sent out an email at least every, every week for the last couple months telling all the coaches what was needed, what was required. And I just think it was a first-class event all the way around. You know, they, they had us, you know, in polo shirts, still let us wear shorts, which was good. But 
Um, they really tried to step it up and, and make it a real first-class event. The facilities at Brophy Prep were, were amazing. So um, we, we really like that. You know, I heard you guys talking about maybe expanding it to four courts at the main site. I think that's probably a good idea just so more, more teams can get to that main site next year and get seen by college coaches. But, you know, once again, just some minor tweaks, uh, which happens with tournaments, but I think they're, they hit a home run. Coach Grant Rice, we appreciate you coming on as always, and we'll be looking forward to seeing you uh, down the line again here in the future. Sounds good, guys. I will definitely see both of you guys real soon. Take care. Coach Grant Rice, always a, a great guest, always a guy who you know brings the truth and uh, is clear and concise in his thoughts and does a fantastic job at Bishop Gorman. Uh, Ronnie, let's move on to the next bracket, uh, the second one down. It was the uh, Native Grill and Wings bracket. I feel like a, a radio host uh, yeah. doing a, a advertisement spot. But uh, Winward, without potentially its best player, big man Kajani Wright, uh, defeated Coronado of, of Nevada with Pop Pop Isaacs and Jaden Hardy, two of the top players in their respective class in the country. Um, I mean, 68-60. And uh, Winward was led by Dylan uh, Andrews, 21 points. He's a sophomore, big-time player. Ronnie, what did you see from that team? Um, yeah, you know, Winward played really well together. Um, they got contributions from a lot of guys. I want to, you know, Jaron Harris, uh, 2021 point guard, played well through the tournament. Devin Tillis did a lot of the little things, was on the boards, making the extra pass, hitting a timely shot. You know, Devin... In the 68-60 win, only had six points, but it seemed like he did a whole lot. That's what he does. He, yeah, he game, was right? all everywhere, handling the ball, getting the loose ball, handling it even under pressure if they needed him, bring it up. Obviously, you know, he's more of a, a wing inside score kind of thing. And um, they did a good job. Uh, the defending champs, I wanted to catch their first game because they were playing the defending D2 state champs, Campo Lindo. And uh, obviously, I wanted to see Dylan matching up with uh, the Cal High Sports Freshman of the Year, Aiden Mahaney. And, you know, Dylan's just as, as good as a prospect as him. It worked out great for Campolindo last year with, with him, them winning the state title over Colony, as we, we've talked about on this pod before. And, you know, Dylan held, held his own. You know, Aiden was great, and a lot of college coaches liked him. But I think um, one of the breakout or one of the guys who really got noticed was Dylan Andrews in this tournament. You know, obviously, people know about Kajani, I yeah. think, a little more. And um, obviously, you know, for Winward, it's one of the teams that really helped them get deep in the bracket, I I, I think. You know, again, obviously, the coaches are going to go find some players that they want to see at various sites, whether it's Central, Apollo, you know. But if they can make it to the championship and, and they're playing right before Gorman and Modern Day, you know, that gives opens up the door for a Jaron Harris or or a Devin Tillis or, or Dylan to get seen by even more coaches. And I think that was shown And that Dylan now has some offers, you know, whether the Grand Canyon, I think even Utah has now offered him in the last 48 hours. So I think for the coaches, it was a great thing for them to see. And it was shown in the offers that these kids have gotten in the last 24 hours right. where they probably wouldn't have gotten them before they'd have to wait till July. Right. Or, you know, or until they're playing 17s or, or on yeah. their re respective circuits or, or things like that. And yeah, Speaking of coaches, we have a championship coach from Winward, Coach Colin Foff, uh, on the line here with us. Coach, um, break down not only the tournament structure, which seemed to be a, a massive hit, um, but also your team's performance. And, you know, a couple guys that stood out were uh, Dylan Andrews and Devin Tillis, as we've been talking about here for the last couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. 
yeah, it was a phenomenal weekend. I mean, just from just from the standpoint of, of course, it's always great when you go four and zero win a championship. That I think no one thought we could could win in those circumstances. <laughs> but uh, but even if I mean, I was telling some coaches like even if we went two and two or one and three, the tournament was so well run with you know just on time officiating, scorekeeping, uh, stats. I mean, it just was is pretty smooth, and I think that's the first thing and. In any good event, it's just that kind of uh, the operations piece. So really a credit to Section 7 and, and the staff there. They just did a phenomenal job. So that part was great. Um, I, we, I think everyone enjoyed the bracket play just because the games really meant something. It was super competitive. Um, you know, then obviously with the multiple gyms, facilities that were all pretty pretty close. And, you know, you don't have to drive 45 minutes out of the way if you needed to catch a game at Brophy and then go to Central or Camelback or whatever whatever your schedule looked like, right? So, yeah. I think from the operations standpoint, they absolutely crushed it. They nailed it. Um, you know, from our perspective, you know, we really didn't know what to expect um, in terms of the competition. We knew Camp Alindo was, you know, a, a state champion, and we knew they returned everybody except for one starter, and they had a really, really good point guard. And so that was a great opener for us, and, and they were super tough. And I think we pulled away in like the last two minutes or so. Um, but it was a great opener. It really got our guys' attention and dialed in and locked in. And then um, fast forward into Saturday night, playing Eastside Catholic was a pretty bizarre game for uh, for me as a coach. Just we probably played the best half of basketball that I've ever coached at since I've been at Windward, and I didn't do much coaching. The guys were just making every single shot. It was it was it was pretty smooth. And then tell two halves, second half we can't we can't score. And he's like, we're up 17 and a half. We go down three with uh, three <laughs> minutes to go. So you, you can imagine the stress factor in that game. And it right. was the last game of the night and a lot of coaches there and it was competitive and it was chippy and it was just a really, really great performance. And, you know, obviously we stuck it out and, and got the, got the win and moved on. And, you know, in that game, I think we had like five or six guys really, really contribute and make, make impactful plays. You know, obviously Dylan Andrews was Phenomenal all weekend, making big shots and getting to the rim. And Devin Tillis, who, in my opinion, is one of just the best decision-making kind of point forwards in high school basketball on the West Coast that at least I've seen. Um, he obviously just, you know, carries us down the stretch, make, makes a clutch three, makes the right pass at the right moment, not afraid of the big moment, you know. Um, and then Jaron Harris, uh, you know, he stepped up when he had to, too. So I think all that then carried over into that last game against Coronado. Yeah, and it was really funny walking around that, you know, kind of during warm-ups of that game. And, you know, you could tell our guys were kind of like, well, you know, we're, we're a man short with Kajani, you know, not competing this weekend. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, no pressure. Let's just let's just let it fly, you know. And uh, so our confidence was high just because of what, what we had done the night before. And, and we knew we wanted to do against Coronado. And, like, the same thing. You know, we got down at half. And the guys gritted, got, gritted it out with, you know, Devin Tillis again making smart, smart plays. And Jaron Harris came up huge in the second half with some really good drives and really good defense. Um, and then Dylan caught fire that late, late first half and then carried it in the second half and just made, like, really elite-level plays for a kid uh, in his class, you know. So, obviously, super proud of them, and it was just a phenomenal weekend for us. Coach, did uh, talk a little bit, like you said, Kajani – was not there. Uh, just talk about a little bit about some a few of the more unsung players who stepped up, and then talk a little bit about uh, how that really helped some of your guys get seen in front of colleges. And you know, what are your just your takes away from the tournament in general? Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I think you know some of the some of the guys that don't get all the credit, right? And, and every team has it, whether it's club, 
high school, college, NBA. It's like, yeah, uh, we've got, we have three kids, Marcus Joseph, who's a, you know, he's a Pac-12 football player. He's Love that guy. Pounds. Oh, and, and when coaches watch him, they they're like, look at me like, what is going on? <laughs> His nickname is Dancing Bear. I mean, he is so agile and <laughs> moves for a 300 pound guy. You just don't see that. Yeah. You know? uh, he does so many things you can't teach. So, like, he's such a huge component for us. Um, and then Brandon Richard, who's a 2021, is just kind of like, you know, everyone's talking about that board man gets paid quote from Kawhi. Well, that's Brandon Richard. He just he puts his hard hat on, man, and he'll do whatever. He'll run through a wall, he'll guard anybody. He'll wall up against a six ten kid, you know, high major kid, and just do all the dirty work for us. And you know, you need those kind of guys, you know, to really, really grit out some tough wins. And then again, I'll go back to Devin Tillis just because, again, I, I think he's one of the smartest basketball players I've ever coached, and that's eight years Division One, three years junior college, you know, and now three years, three years high school. I mean, he's just such a good decision maker. He makes the game easy on himself and our team and on me. And I was telling and. Just in the last 48 hours, he's gotten some – his recruitment's picked up and his interest, and everyone's – everyone says the same thing, right? Uh, is he athletic enough? Is he big enough? And the answer is no, he's not. <laughs> but, he's so, but he's so skilled and so smart. Yeah. By the time he's a junior in college, whatever whatever level he's playing at, the level above him will go, how would you guys get that guy? Right. Right, because his body will change. His athleticism will change. And so that's kind of my thing with him. Those three guys are really – uh, I mean, they do everything for us from, and sometimes don't get all the credit. Yeah. Coach, I think you bring an interesting perspective to the discussion of, you know, should high school events be live in June, which I obviously think they should. And Ronnie does as well, because you have coaching experience on both sides. Now you have 11 years uh, as a recruiter, three at junior college, as you said, and eight at division one. And now you're on the high school side, uh, you know, coaching, you know, low major, high major, mid major division two prospects. Um, so in your experience um, as a college coach, how important was it for you to evaluate kids at the high school level and how important was it for you to evaluate them in the club system? Both are both as important or was one, you know, kind of uh, more important than the other? Sure. No, that's a great question, right? I think that's kind of the, the hot topic after this yeah. after the weekend. You know, I, there, look, there's value in both, right? Yeah. And both yeah. are imperfect. I think from the, from the recruiting standpoint, logistically, AAU is easy. It makes a lot of sense. Sure, there's some there's some factors that are broken in that structure, but for the most part, when you can go to one gym and see 30 to 40 kids, right, mm-hmm. that are actually recruitable kids at the Division One level, that's a home run for your budget, for your time, for your schedule, return on investment, right? And so I, I think from the club, at, club atmosphere, that's what makes a lot of sense. Also, you know, you're going to see some really high-level competition when, you, you know, when you're evaluating kids at the club circuit, especially on Saturdays and Sundays during those championship uh, championship games of the tournament. So that's the obviously the advantage, in my mind, um, with the club evaluation. And then obviously it's tough because sometimes on Wednesdays and Thursdays, there's 45-point games. There's, you know, there's just that together that make it a little, you know, sometimes a tougher evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, you know, the other piece is, I always joke because, like, you know, high schools, for me, it's all about opportunity versus club coaches versus high school coaches. As a high school coach, I get my guys all year round. We have a gym. We have practice time. We, have, You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas a club club guys, most of the time, it's really hard and challenging for them to find practice time, right? Right. So, obviously, just by virtue of opportunity, uh, we get more time. We're going to have more structure, probably a little more organization, generally speaking. So, I think that's the benefit there. Um, but from the, putting my college coaching recruiting hat back on, 
Um, so that's my thoughts on the on the club evaluation. I think the evaluation that we all had this weekend was it was just so good to see really quality basketball, quality competition. Probably again, like I've like I noted before, just a little more structure. Um, you know, more probably more team defense, jumping to the ball, more sets. How do you guard sets? I mean, all that stuff. When as a college coach recruiter, you want to know: Does he know how to do that, or do we have to teach him that when he gets here? Right. Mm, yep. And so, getting through screens and blocking off and press break and closing out properly, all that stuff. I think this weekend really provided a lot of that. So, I think from the evaluation standpoint, I mean, again, this weekend just they hit a home run because all those college coaches, the return on investment evaluation wise was was high you know got it and, uh, sometimes you just don't you can't sometimes you can't get that same evaluation when you're looking for that little stuff in the club scene mm-hmm. you know yep coach um obviously like you said it worked out for you guys you guys got over the hump against Campolindo and you, you go 4-0 and you're you're in the main gym and and you're playing before the game before modern day Gorman other coaches are there but um from your from a evaluation standpoint like I want to see Aiden Mahaney versus Dylan Andrews, yes. right now, would you rather just see like showcase games and say, "Hey, that's a good two good wings, that's two good centers," or or do you don't mind that the bracket style play like a regular holiday type tournament? And then, second question would be if if the CIF were to sanction events, I most would assume that the California teams would stay home to save on money and travel, or would sure. you rather see? California go one weekend and Arizona go one weekend or maybe be like a, a regional play and then the winners meet the, the following week somewhere. What, you know, what do you see in the future yeah. a little bit? Yeah. Um, on the first question, Ronnie, I, that's a great question. Yeah. I mean, you, you would absolutely love to see two dynamic yeah. players that are highly, you know, established in their class, like just go at it um, in a showcase setting. Again, you may not get, you may not get the little stuff out of that evaluation and whether or not you think that's important. Like, you know, I think that's up to the individual. I would prefer to probably see it in the setting that it was just played in. Um, you know, cause I think, I think that game meant a lot, right. Mm-hmm. Camp yeah. Lindo, a champion and it's the high school thing, like kind of that pride and not that, Hey, you doesn't have that, but I just think the like the energy was different in that game. You know, those kids trying to prove themselves that they can lead their teams to wins. And um, so, I mean, I, personally for me, I prefer that setting. Um, but I also, I also get the value in like a show situation where the suits are just, you know, just going at it the whole game. Yeah. So I like both, um, from the second, uh, second question, that's interesting. You know, I, I do think part of the reason it was such a good event was because it's the only event, yep. right. Yep. And, and the way we've all been talking the last five, six years is how diluted some of the events have become just because there's too many options. And so if California does go ahead and, and okay this thing and move on, I mean, how many guys are going to try to run one of these? Right. You know? Tons. Yeah. Tons, yeah. coach. That's the answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then section seven becomes, you know, just a shell of what it was this year. And, and then there's nothing to match that in California potentially, you know, because also part of the thing is, right, like I don't want to play another SoCal team. I was sure. so yeah. happy we got to play a NorCal team, uh, an Arizona team, a Seattle team, and a, and a Las Vegas team. I mean, that was part of the, part of the interest. Like I don't want to play – you know, Inglewood when I can play them. Yeah. And uh, matter of fact, Rolling Hills was in our hotel. I saw coach Katani and we were both thinking we might play each other two o'clock on Sunday. And I said, Hey coach, if that's the case, let's just drive home. Let's play in Blythe. Let's get back to LA baby. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know what I mean? So I, I do like from that standpoint, but I, I love that idea, Ron, if, if that, if they do move forward, like how do we then get some kind of like, you're right. Regional championship 
Um, that would be ideal. Logistically, it might be tough, right? A California winter, Arizona winter. Where do you play? The following you know, week. Yeah. All that stuff. Well, how does that go down? Um, I think on paper, it's an it's awesome idea. I think executionally, it could be could have its challenges, you know? Yeah, I think we should uh, play that one at Cerritos College in Norwalk, California, which is... <laughs> Right down the street. Uh, Coach Foff, we appreciate you coming on. Um, congratulations again on your victory uh, in spite of having Coach Andrew Gauthier on your staff. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's always a challenge. Always a challenge. All right, Coach, we'll let you go now. Coach Foff always brings a, a great perspective um, on both sides because of his past uh, experience as a college coach and now uh, as a guy who you know coaches a, a big-time high school program coaches it the right way, uh, does things the right way, and has great players on his team. Um, Ronnie, speaking of doing things the right way or maybe the wrong way, NBA draft. Let's let's kind of segue into that. Um, we got some great Section 7 talk, but let's talk the NBA draft, which was last Thursday. Um, the, the opening was weird, how they had the introductions for the players yeah. and the families. Families, it was... Well, what, what are they trying to accomplish it was, here? It was like the... Uh, the Oscars, like the NBA Awards. The NBA and like Awards, the, and yeah. the Oscars and the... Emmys, what, I mean, I get it, the sports, the line between sports and entertainment is being blurred more yeah, and more sure. all the time. I get that, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it was over the top. The comments I saw on Twitter and other social media, they thought it was maybe a little over the top. I do, you know, we do want to maybe see a glimpse of the parents, but like, I don't want, the parents are not the like showcase here. No. You know, I, I, but everybody wants to know all their backstories. A lot of times they have good backstories, but yeah. we can we can discuss those backstories in the newspaper yeah. or on yeah. ESPN.com or ballslife.com or sure. any of these, you know, uh, editorial websites, right? Correct. I want to know a, I want to know why this team should, shouldn't or shouldn't pick this player at this pick and B let's get to the pick. Yeah. Let's, 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 I want to pick, Yeah. you know, give them their two or three minutes, yes. whatever the clock want yeah. to pick. I don't need to hear yeah. countless yeah. JJ Bill is talking about length and athleticism. And saying it, if you had a length and athleticism drinking game yeah. during the NBA Every, draft, yeah. you'd be you've had alcohol poisoning by the third pick. Yeah, it's just get to the pick and yeah. give us a little background. Go go to different people. Go to my buddy Jonathan Gavoni for one pick. Go to Fran Franchilla for another pick. Go to Paul Banquarty for another pick. Yeah. They all work for you know Mike Schmidt, whatever. All those whoever. guys. They yeah, all have, use they all all have all, input. Yeah, they all for various picks. Yeah. They may may know better than others. So. Go to those guys. Utilize we don't need, it. We don't need Chauncey Billups' horrible NBA comparisons. Well, it's that's the, the and problem. I like I've Chauncey, always, but yeah, yeah I, that's I, I the like problem. Chauncey. He just hasn't watched them enough, right? Yeah. Obviously, you got to put you got to yeah. put the guys who have seen the college kids at length yeah. on that in those comparison spots to get people interested in it. Yeah. Unless you're just going to get the general fan who just wants to know the drama, yeah. and the shoes and the uh, Bobo's jacket and you know that kind of thing you know the the the, the clothing yeah that's, the, that's, the social media all that craze, means right. nothing if the pick is terrible down the line right. nobody's gonna remember Bobo's jacket, jacket if, if if he ends up being an awesome player right. or a terrible player right. they're gonna say that team picked great at forty four whatever you know Bobo got taken out what a pick or Bobo was terrible. a bust and at, that's why he dropped correct nobody's gonna care about all that other stuff. Too much, yeah. Um, so, so let's get to the picks. We don't want to dwell on that too much. Um, I'm gonna let's go winners and losers here. Uh, okay. This is always a, a a good topic. Everyone does this. Winners and losers after the draft. So, my first winners are the Pelicans. Um, they had the number one overall pick. Obviously, was Zion Williamson. That was uh, a dead horse beaten multiple multiple times over and over and over for the last you know what yeah. six or seven months, right? Um, 
They used the number four pick to trade back to eight and 17, and they drafted Texas center Jackson Hayes, who was a fast riser uh, in this draft at number eight, and took um, Virginia Tech's Nikhil Alexander-Walker at 17. Those are three extremely good pieces to have for the future. And then the Anthony Davis trade, which landed them Lonzo Ball, uh, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart. I mean, that's a major, major young core yeah. to move forward with in the future. Um, so I thought that's pretty exciting times. Yeah, I thought that was that for was New Orleans fans a nice job with not only trading their uh, superstar for uh, solid pieces who are already in the NBA, uh, but also doing a nice job of acquiring picks in, in the draft and using them right. Um, winner number two for me is is not a team; it's college basketball or shooters, strictly shooters. So uh, Vanderbilt's Darius Garland didn't even play; he played. Did he play a game this year? Vanderbilt, maybe one or two or three or four, whatever. But he didn't. He didn't give us a really large sample size of what he could do at the college level. But he was uh, identified as a guy who can shoot the basketball, which is extremely important in this in the NBA nowadays. Second, uh, North Carolina's Cameron Johnson uh, went number eleven to Phoenix, which was uh, acquired with a trade with uh, Minnesota. And again, he's a guy who potentially could have gotten in later rounds, but since he can shoot the ball so well from three. Uh, he was prioritized. Next is Kentucky's Tyler Hero, who is a knockdown shooter, as 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 we we all know. He went number thirteen to Miami. Uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker, he shot thirty seven percent from three at Virginia Tech last year. He went number seventeen. Belmont's Dylan Windler, uh, he went twenty six. He was in the first round of Cleveland. He can shoot it. And Jordan Poole from Michigan, he was I think he was projected as a second round undrafted kind of guy, and he went twenty eight to Golden State uh, because of the fact that he can put the ball in the bucket, Ronnie. Yeah, I, that's where the game is going, like we've talked about. Uh, you know, we, we talk about scouting and, and what people need. The basket's always going to be 10 feet. It hasn't changed. So if you got a certain amount of size, you know, I've, I've read some statistics where the amount of males, American males, who are 6'10 or above between the ages of 18 or 40 is like 3,500. So there's just not – right. not – there's there's – 380, 400 million people in, in America. So you're choosing, that's how many there are, 3,500 that size. So if you're either that size, A, or you got to be that athletic, or you got to shoot the ball that yeah. well. Or and if you're Kevin Durant, you, you just... You got all of it. You got all of it. <laughs> but most people are not, you know, none of these guys are Kevin Durant, So but they can shoot the ball. Right. So we've talked about that. We talked a little bit about the American basketball system. How mean you don't think guys shoot the ball well enough in general? Not not a knock on any one player, obviously. No, it's in general. It's a whole yeah. kind of a all-encompassing thing. Is yeah, like, and oh. I just see that. I've seen that in the all-star games, the high school all-star games over the years for the last 20 years, I would say. I got, you know me, I got the box score somewhere in my computer or yeah. something. Yeah. Five for 32. Or in your backpack, yeah, which is or like my 500 backpack. pounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a portal. Yeah, or, you know... <laughs> You go to the next one, 2011 McDonald's game, three-point shooting, four for 29. Right. Go to the Jordan brand game, three-point shooting, six for 36. Yeah. It's just down the line. So yeah. here we go, oh, it's the background, the perception, the depth. No. I Well, we're just not shooting good enough. Right. I've, I've said that to kids at the Pangos camp. I've said that to kids at other events. I go, you got it. Guys, Patrick Ewing could shoot a fallaway 20-footer. That's sure. a college three. Right, right. Like, you got to be able to shoot better than we're shooting as a group. And I remember one time... Anike Orobu, uh, remember him from Washington State? He went to yeah, Oak yeah, Hill. Yeah. He was like, yeah, Jordan, my buddy Jordan, Jordan Amps can really shoot. And then we were just talking about the guys in that class who, there was only like four or five guys we mentioned that could really shoot out mm-hmm. of a high school American class of like 100. That's crazy. You know, like 
we just rattle them off. Yeah, there's only four shooters in this whole group. That should, that should be one of the most basic, yeah, fundamental things in basketball. And yeah. it, it seems nowadays that it's uh, it's kind of the the last thing a lot of kids learn because they're practicing. They're between the East Bay dunk, yeah, off the bounce, the practicing athleticism stuff, speed stuff, dribbling, ball handling, yeah. um, you know, transition stuff, pick and roll. Yeah. But again, if someone goes under the pick and roll, the best way to make them pay is to shoot that thing. So, Ronnie, who was your winner? Yeah, my winner is the Atlanta Hawks. We had our, our buddy Rashad Phillips yep. on the pod, last one, number 27. And uh, he talking about how he really liked Cam Reddish, how he, you know, the the system that Duke ran or just the way their season played out, it wasn't really showing what he can do. He thought he was going to be one of the players that they were going to look at at number four. So the Hawks got a national championship player from Virginia at number four, DeAndre Hunter, and still got Cam Reddish at number 10 even though somebody thought they might take him at number four. So yeah. they basically traded two first-rounders and got the player they want at 10 and still got a number four player who, you know, obviously people thought that's where the pick or where the draft started. Yeah, and they traded four. for that four pick with uh, with uh, New Orleans. Yeah, and so it seemed like it worked out both for both teams. So that's my, my big winner. Uh, Devin, talk about your uh, team that you thought didn't do so well, I guess, quote-unquote, the loser. Obviously, none of these players are losers. They're all getting drafted. They all, you know, are taking that step and that dream in their life to, to get money. But still, for some, it's not going to work out, and it's not going to be a good fit. Yeah, thanks for putting such a positive spin on that, Ronnie. <laughs> that, was, that was really nice of you, because yeah, I, I, should... I bring all the negativity to this podcast, and you just, you just light this place up. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie, so my quote-unquote loser, I, think, I don't think Phoenix uh, got better in this, in this uh, draft, because... I think they were in desperate need of a point guard, right, to pair alongside Devin Booker, who's one of the best young shooting guards in the game. Um, but last year with with the Suns, Devin Booker was seeing doubles and, and triples and you know things like that, and there was not a guy who could get him the ball um, in space and where he needed it uh, without him having to do it himself. Gotcha. I think they made a couple good picks. Right, I think Jarrett Culver is a good pick at number six. The sophomore out of yeah, Texas I think he's for, I think he's versatile. I think he's a, a high high level defender. At the next level, and he's he's a pretty good mid range shot maker, right? And and, and the mid range is not dead, but he and then we got Cam Johnson from North Carolina, who they selected at number eleven, um, with a trade with Minnesota, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, and he's a he's a floor. I guess he's going to be a, a floor spreading four man at the NBA level, but I think they could have got him later in the draft. I could think they could have traded into the into the early twenties and gotten and Cam still Johnson, got him. right? Yeah, and. And that also kind of puts an end, maybe, to Josh Jackson's tenure there, tenure at, in Phoenix, who Short was a lottery tenure. pick last. Was it two years ago? Yeah, in the Lonzo Ball draft. In the Lonzo right. Ball draft, in that would, yeah. It's draft. A, so you you draft two wings when you're already loaded on the wing, and unless you just, you're planning on unloading Josh Jackson and trying to get a point guard piece. But I mean, at number at number um, six, Kobe White was available because he went seven, seven to Chicago. Yeah. I, I think. Kobe White and Devin Booker would have been a fantastic pairing together in, in Phoenix. Interesting. I, I can see that. Like you said, you're loading up on positions. We've seen some teams do that. It doesn't seem to work. You know, uh, Phoenix hasn't been very good the last few years. They've changed coaches, mm-hmm. management, that type of they thing. They had a coach for one year and they let him go, right? Yeah. So, you know, what are you doing with Devin Booker? You know, you see on Twitter, everybody's screaming, Devin Booker needs to get out of there. He's going to get yeah. out of there. Right, right. So I, I'm not sure what they're doing there, as you said. Um, you know, Phoenix doesn't have a, a culture of, like, they haven't been winning. doesn't seem like there's no leadership. 
I don't see any. Right. You know, on court. And there's no vision. Yeah. It just seems like they're just kind of com- like piling up assets and not really kind of like Lakers, but not really putting together a team, right? Yeah. And it's and I it's funny. I talked to um Apples, who's Josh Jackson's mom. I've known her since the grassroots days when, you know, she had a, a team on the Under Armour circuit. And she goes, well, I go, you know, Apples, it's funny because most high school players and high school Americans of that level, they don't lose very many games. So even if a decent high school season, an All-American is probably going 26 and 6. Like, let's say Bishop Gorman next year. If they go 26 and 6, that's not very good. Right. But they're still not losing much. You know, modern day is not losing much. Uh, you know, those type of players that are on those type of teams, Oak Hill, Montverde, et cetera, prolific, they're not losing very many games. So she was like, man, my son's got to get, like, this losing is just, you're losing Wearing every other night. Yeah, yeah. You, you're losing a lot. You got you to gotta be professional. You got to handle it. You know, don't let it take your joy. You're young guys. And so, like you said, they don't seem to have that leadership and direction. That's what I kind of got from talking to her a little bit about the son's situation at, at, at we were speaking last year during the season and she already knew and he already knew they're going to lose a lot of games this upcoming year because we spoke in december at an event and it's just going to be a long season for the suns and, yeah. and again it looks like it's going to be another long season for the suns right so right. what are you going to do with that core what, where are they going to go from there you got you, know? you got to get a point guard to try and you know make yeah. sure Devin booker stays around after the, the end of his next contract but uh ronnie your your loser is interesting, and I agree on on this one. Who is your loser in this year's draft? The, the the losers, I think. Again, we talked about the game growing internationally, the game growing in general. Um, I think the high school all American core that's come through for the last couple of years is is the loser. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you have a generational type talent in in Zion Williamson, but John Morant wasn't part of that group. Nope. R.J. Barrett was. Is is from Canada and and knows okay. If I'm gonna, my father's been involved in the game. If I'm gonna go somewhere, where am I gonna go to maximize potential? Okay, maybe Montverde's the best fit for me. And Steve Nash is his godfather, so that's a great yeah two time MVP. So that's not a normal situation. Yeah. So those, besides Zion, those guys. Then you go to DeAndre Hunter. Yep, he's not part of that. Jared Culver, Jared Culver, not part of that. Jackson Hayes, not part of that. Nope. You know, you go on down the list. You know. Nikhil Alexander Walker's not really part of that. He's from Canada. Matisse Thybul, no. Yeah. Brand Clark, no. Grant Williams, nope. Yep. They're not. These guys are not the top twenty-five guys. Ty Jerome. I mean, he was he was a highly highly regarded player, but yeah, not not a McDonald's All American level, right? Yeah. So we're talking about like the t- best twenty twenty-five guys, McDonald's All American types. It's not really hitting. It's not really. That's just the way it's going. So again, it's this is a wake up call for high school coaches. Our grassroots American grassroots coaches, our guys got to get better and or just be, uh, you know, working on the aspects of the game that NBA coaches want to see or that are wanting. Why are they drafting these other guys? So let's talk about the guys that didn't get drafted. You know, um, Nas Reed, I thought he was good enough to get. So I thought he was good enough talent wise to get drafted for sure. You know, uh, again, there's some questions. Does he play hard every day? But we've seen him on his best days and. That's the kind of guy you want in the NBA long term. Even if he's at a backup or filling a roster spot at, the, at, at up front, that guy is strong, can move, and, and can play. Yeah. Dow Wigginton getting drafted. Tyus Battle, who I saw at a middle school camp, he was one of the best middle school players in the country at that time. Well known high school player, right under the McDonald's level, went to Syracuse. He didn't get drafted. Diedrich Lawson, who comes from a great family of of his father's been a college coach, a high school coach, has brothers that are high level players, led a, a conference 
a major power conference in scoring and rebounding. Yeah. Didn't get drafted. Right. Lewis King comes in as uh, he's at a high school, Hudson Catholic, with two other All Americans. Well known. They all go to different places. We saw one of them last year, the kid who went to Ohio State for at the Balls Life game. Yep. He doesn't get drafted. You yep. know, again, there's some questions, there's question marks there about about you know him and um you know some of the off court things. So that drops him right away. So yep. again, people have their their guard up. NBA general managers are calling college coaches, they're calling high school coaches, scouts, they're calling scouts, they're calling event directors that are well known. They're talking to hundreds, hundreds of people, and right? once they start hearing things about, uh, you know, the handlers and or the work ethic or not the love of the game, that type of thing, some off court issues. These these American guys, they they, they seems to be the first ones that they're going to ask issues about. Yeah. Okay, sure. Coach, tell me what's wrong with this guy. Uh-huh. That's just the perception right now. That makes sense. Oh, how many handlers does he have? Who? How does his dad coach the AU team? Uh, does the people have their hands out? That's just what people are talking about when it comes to the top players. Yeah. And um, the guy we saw drop a lot, and he was invited to the quote-unquote green room. Um, Foul to number 44, Bull Bull. We've seen a lot of them. Yep. That's exactly what we're talking about. Devin, talk a little bit about Bull Bull, and then just talk a little bit. Do you think that based on the you know where they're getting their information from, why are they inviting so many guys to be at the draft and then they, they fall? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the Bull Bull fall, I mean, for, for me and you, Ronnie – was it a was it a shock? No. I wasn't shocked. No, you hate, not at the you health. Hate, you hate to see it. Yeah, obviously because you, you hate to see people, people to in that good. situation. You want yeah. people to succeed and do well. Um, but I I don't. I, people thought you know people were saying he's a top five talent, and you know what? I think that might be. He's seven two, seven three. Can handle it. Shoot a three a little bit. Sure, that's a top five talent. But again, there's you, more. You gotta, there's the game. more that goes into the game. You gotta you gotta work hard. You gotta love the game. You you gotta yeah. be focused yeah. at all times. You um, gotta finish the seasons. Finish seasons strong. The, yeah, the, the Oregon thing is not just a, something new. It's yeah, the no, same thing that happened at the high school yeah. level. Do do does these scouts know that? I don't know. Do NBA GMs know that? Maybe if they start asking. And then you and add then in, you add in all you, that to yeah. injury history yeah. and kind of a brittle uh, frame. That out on a seven three brittle. That's scaring people. That's scary. That's gonna scare people. So they're not gonna they're not gonna take that chance and invest in that with a high pick when they can get them late when you can get them later. You know what I mean? Correct. So you hate to see that happen to a guy like Bull Bull um, or anybody, really. Uh, but again, they're going to take into account every single conversation that they've had with people who have been involved with Bull Bull who don't have um, um, it, you know, personal interests in Bull Bull, right? Sure. People who don't have relationships with them. That's who they talk to. They talk to high school coaches, like you said. They talk to scouts. They talk to college coaches. They talk to tournament directors tournament, that they might know. Many, very well. many people, right? Yeah. Um, and those things are all taken into account for these picks. Another guy who dropped Ronnie, uh, who a lot of people thought was going to be a, a top five pick as well, was Nasir Little, out of North Carolina. He went to UNC, uh, was a top three player in the country in his yeah. class, whether it was one, two, or three, or two or three. One was uh, obviously uh, Zion, Zion and Barrett. And Barrett, yeah. Um, but he, you know, struggled at North Carolina. A lot of people said that he's came off the bench, uh, but he, I mean, he, he averaged a good amount of points in limited minutes. I think it was like 10 points in 19 minutes. It's pretty good. Um, but he dropped to, to the end of the first round in the 25, 25, 25 to Portland. Um, and I think it, a lot of that had to do with lack of shooting ability, maybe. Yeah. I, right. He seems I, to have the motor, the, 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 Right, the, the body, the, the frame. The body, the frame. But again, like you said, it's 
I think people already thought this guy is going to the NBA. So, hey, North Carolina is a great spot for me. You know, I can showcase my what I do. But he didn't really wasn't really able to do that. And again, you know, what are they drafting on? Obviously, it's a little bit of upside and potential, but like, you know, you gotta produce. That's why How can you help them now? Yeah, right? that's why the team, that's why um Kobe White, who he produced more. Or maybe he just fat he fit into what they were doing at the time and it worked out for him. For some guys it doesn't. And it, it that that happens. It's very interesting that um you know a guy who's maybe not one of the most productive college players still gets drafted again people know about him and people know about his reputation coming into college and we've seen those type of picks before sometimes they work sometimes they don't i think cam reddish is a little like that people kind of okay you know he wasn't in the ideal situation but he can do x y and z and let's see if he can do it he's proven he can he can shoot it and score mm-hmm. it from the perimeter at a, at a efficient and high clip right and Nasir Little has kind of been a guy who's used his his body and his, his strength and his frame to overpower guys at every level, at the high school level and then into college. I mean, we, NBA teams are looking for guys who can spread the floor now because yep. that's the kind of game it is. It's a wide-open game. you got to be able to shoot it and then take guys off the dribble and use your power to finish, right? Um, so I think people need to There's under- question marks there. Yeah, yeah. as Dino's say, Dino say, what you need to understand is yeah. Yeah, you got to be able to do everything nowadays, yeah. right? And that makes sense. Um. Very interesting that I see is that Darius Baisley went to 23 Yeah, to this Utah. is a good one. This is a good one. I like this one. They uh, traded the pick to Oklahoma City, but, you know, Baisley opted not to go to college. Um, you know, he was supposed to go play Jim Boeheim's program at Syracuse. Instead, he sat out. He trained for a year. Uh, he only had a $1 million internship with New Bounce, whatever that means. <laughs> Rich uh, Paul. Rich Paul yeah. did some real nice work there, that's for sure. But, hey, if he has money in his pocket yeah. and he's working out and he's staying in shape, and he can show he can do certain things. I'm not sure that people are even, as years go by, and I've talked about it before, we talked a little bit about it after the NCAA college championship between Texas Tech and Virginia, is that like college is not even the avenue that you're like, okay, if he produces in college, we're going to get something in the NBA. That seems out the door a little bit. Like Nasir Little is a perfect example of that. So next year is going to be even more. We got R.J. Hampton who's going to be probably even more highly regarded than Darius Baisley, at least coming into the season. Okay. And then you got Mellow Ball. Right. And you got another player. There's at least one other player that's like was an American high school player. That's Yeah, Terry Armstrong. Terry Armstrong. He decommitted from Arizona is now Correct. going to try and, and go not, overseas. Uh, he's not as highly regarded as those two guys, but still. Yeah, Kenny Martin Jr. He's also yeah. doing it. Yeah, so that's going to happen more and more. Again, yeah. if it, especially if Baisley's successful and other guys have been successful, you got to look at all these venues – or avenues or lanes where players are coming from. And I'm not sure that a college player who averages a double-double is even relevant to the NBA draft anymore. Unless they're... Unless Diedrich Lawson's proven that. Right. I mean, so... Diedrich Lawson's 6'8 and fluid fluid athlete. He went undrafted after going double-double in the Big 12. That's That's crazy. Yeah, because, again, our notion is that a double-double in the Big 12 and you are on the NBA boards and people know about you, you're going to get picked, but... That doesn't it's seem to be clearly not the case anymore. It's not the case anymore. It hasn't been the case for a few years, but it's suddenly getting more and more. So again, I think the one of the main points we should strive home for this, and I've said this before, and I usually say it to younger kids at middle school camps, some of John Lucas's things, like a Pangos Junior All American, um, or even you know even a, a smaller camp it may go to is kids. You need to start getting input from. People that if you make it, they're not going to benefit. 
and also get input from people that if you don't make it, they're not going to be hurt emotionally or financially by it. You definitely you need more input from those people. It seems like people are as normal as human nature to gravitate towards people that you want to get a positive answer for or the answer that you want to hear. Yeah. Subconsciously, you want to hear a certain answer. Devin, I think you're a great writer. Devin, hey, you thanks, do a great man. job. Appreciate you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I think I, I keep trying to pound that. People. You need to talk to people that have no quote unquote skin in the game with yep. you. Yep. It seems like a lot of these, that's what I'm taking home from all this 2019 draft. Um, you know, the, 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 the international, you know, uh, explosion in the NBA is that locally or domestically our players are 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 missing the boat there a bit. They're just not getting the input, the good input they need, or they're not simply not taking it well. You've got to be able. Let's close. Not yeah, we, let's close this out right now. Yeah, you've got to be able to accept and yeah. seek out constructive yeah. criticism yeah. to help yourself yeah. uh, further your game and further yourself as a human being. General. Uh, in general, you can't keep always, going back to the same well. Yeah, you can't always just be hearing from guys who who. Will in turn down the line want something back from you for yeah. uh, helping you or being your big bro, as yeah. everyone likes to say, right? Sure. The big bro, little bro syndrome. Avoid that at all costs. Avoid that at all costs. Like you said, seek out guys who have no skin in the game um, and be able to accept what they're saying, the truth. Or And if you don't understand it, ask them yeah. or ask somebody you trust, what did he mean by this? Right. And work on the right things. I've, I've seen players, I saw them at the NBA Players Association camp. It's like this guy is not improving, not getting it, mm-hmm. and it's gonna show down the line. Yep. Whether they listen to me or not, or whether they read something I tweet or read something I write, hopefully somebody can get to them. So again, I, I don't, I'm not the type that, uh, and I, I don't agree that all these scouts are bad and they they judging wrongs. These hipster scouts, these sit behind computers, all that shit, because there's always been players that emerge from various. Points. Uh, every high school All American is not going to make it. Whether it's David Robinson, Jerome Kersey, Terry Porter, Manu Ginobili, you know, we can go all down the line. Uh, even older or newer, we can. There's there's players that went to small colleges. Mm-hmm. Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace. Yeah, I mean, there's it, the players are going to come from all over. There's for various reasons. Whether it's work ethic, whether it's drive, bad advice, injury, but you know, I think the players can help themselves percentage wise to have a better chance to make it if they take some of the, what we're saying to heart and, and, and listen to people that, um, you know, doesn't have, doesn't benefit or lose either way in dealing with them. So yeah. hopefully everybody, you know, had a great week and a great weekend. And, you know, Devin, we got uh, some non-live events coming up. Uh, you know, Fairfax tournament. We got the comp, Dem- Dem- Tony Thomas's DeMar DeRozan tournament. There's another live weekend for high school. Some of them are going to be uh, individual setting. One's in Washington. I believe one's in Colorado. So college coaches will be able to get out again this weekend. Ryan Silver has an event for yep. teams at this weekend. At the map that you know has been well attended in the past. Then we get into July, and it's a whole new ball game compared to last year. You know, Vegas is not what it was in the past. So you know, hopefully for these 220s, they don't fall through the cracks. I think this was a great weekend. And other states, too, we didn't talk about, you know, Georgia had a great showing of coaches. Um, North Carolina got it done as we, you know, our guys over at Greensboro Day, were, I'm sure they're tickled pink. Oh, them. yeah, they are, for you sure. You know, because they, they were going to be shut out, and they got it, they, you know, hopefully our pod and other stories and people's um, input out there got them to change, you know, got some of this stuff to turn around and 
Not all the kids were in front of D1 coaches, but a lot more. And I look at like a Will McClendon. He got offered by Arizona. Yep. You know, Ty he, Ty he Washington up. from yep. Cesar Chavez got, got offered. some D1 stuff. You know, uh, Monty Bowser from Bishop O'Dowd yep. is now getting D1 looks. You know, I we'd always known about him. He had a pretty good year last year. So that's what it's all about. So I'm happy to see the kids that um, were able to be in front of college coaches. And for the ones that are not, keep working. You'll have your chance in July. That will do it. And Ronnie, I'm actually glad that Vegas is not as popping as it was because my pockets are going to be much more padded than they would be if I went to Vegas. For episode 28 of the In the Paint show presented by Ball is Life, Devin Newland and Ronnie Flores signing off.